Welcome to the Housing Matters Podcast, brought to you by the California Association of Realtors and the Center for California Real Estate. Hello, and thank you for joining us for another Housing Matters podcast. Your favorite data nerds are back with everything you need to know about the housing market and the economy. My name is Jordan Levine. I'm the Chief Economist here at the California Association of Realtors, and I'm joined by my partner in crime, our Deputy Chief Economist, Oscar Way. Hey, Hey, everyone. How is everyone doing? Hopefully everyone is doing very well. And Jordan, thank you for uh, the introductions. And we had a lot of things we need to cover today. A lot of updates have happened. Most of it is is optimistic, a couple not, but we wanted to uh, talk both about the housing market specifically. And so we'll walk you through our February 2021 release with sales and price and what's going on in all facets of the housing market. And then we wanted to talk a little bit uh, about the, the kind of short run and long run effects of the downturn, because you know the, the we're starting to see the light at the end of the tunnel, luckily, right? And lots of folks are getting those shots and, and all of that good stuff. And so we wanna start to think about what the kind of post COVID world looks like in terms of interest rates, in terms of uh, the consumer component, right? Like what does Absolutely. housing demand look like now. And and within that, we're also talking about um, where that demand is located. So not just what types of homes they're buying, but we'll talk about um, migration and population growth and all of that kind of stuff, as well as the composition of buyers, because you did some really interesting analysis on um, international buyers, investment properties. And then of course, it wouldn't be a Housing Matters podcast if we didn't talk (laughs) at least a little bit um, about housing supply. So that is the plan, but mm-hmm. uh, help us understand what happened in February because we basically saw uh, ongoing momentum, even though it was slightly below where we were in January, we're still seeing uh, really robust numbers in terms of the level of home sales. Yeah, let's take a little, little bit of uh, uh, an overview of what happened in the last month or two or so, just to set the, uh, the groundwork a little bit. If you look at February numbers, uh, both sales and price, you can see that, well, you know, compared to, you know, the month or the couple months ago or the end of last year, yeah, it might not be as strong. Now right. let's take a look at sales. Sales actually was at uh, seasonally adjusted number was 462 plus change. That's still a very, very good number. Remember, yeah. you know, what we talked about before, we used to use a 400,000 benchmark right. and we actually started using 500 at the end of last year. Yes, it is below 500,000. But if you just take a look at the year-over-year increase, we're still talking about close to 10% increase on a year-over-year basis. Absolutely. And the other thing to keep in mind is that I know the February 2020 number, that was uh, before the effects of the pandemic and we had lockdown or anything like that. And actually, um, if you, if you, I know it seems like, you know, a decade ago, but if you go back to the end of 2019, um, we were looking at and expecting a pretty robust housing market in 2020. And February was really the first month that we started to see that where we were up above 420,000 units. And so just the fact that we were kind of riding pretty high before the crisis uh, shrinks down those growth rates, I think, a little bit. And actually, if you if you think about where growth rates might be headed over the next couple of months, this is kind of right around the time when sales started falling off a cliff 
in 2020. So we should probably see that return to double digit growth in the coming months. Yes, absolutely. And it's not just sales, you know, we're seeing strong price growth as well. Of course, when we say strong price growth, we're looking at the uh, the median price, right. which could be affected by this change of mix of sales. But let's forget about that for now. If you just take a look at, you know, median sales price at the state level, it's still very close to 700,000, which a year ago was probably not what we expected you know, in, in 2021. Yeah. We're looking at somewhere around 20% increase on a year over year basis. That's very, very significant. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so not only is the level of, of price high, but it's also increasing at an incredible uh, rate, right? And and so you see that the, the market is just very, very competitive. I think it's the uh, the seventh month in a row where we had prices go up by at least 10%. And so, mm-hmm. um, you know, hopefully that's the thing that starts to motivate some supply to come back online because you're seeing, you know, it's not just isolated to one particular part of the state or um, even one price segment, actually all price segments, except for the very, very lowest end of the market um, are, are growing, but it, it, it does kind of put buyers at a disadvantage, right? And you see that some of that is, is showing up in the competitiveness stats where it's starting to become uh, pretty challenging to, to be a, a buyer's agent, certainly, right. um, but just to be a buyer in general, because there's, there's, you know, people are worried about rates going even higher. And I know we're going to talk about rates in the future, but like homes that we see on the MLS that, you know, are going pending very quickly, they're getting multiple offers, hence the double digit price growth. So, and, and I think you even did some analysis on how, yes, the median price is being dragged upwards by the high-end homes that we're selling, but even on a kind of, um, you know, county by county basis, or even looking within quintiles, you're still seeing really robust growth in price. That's the result of just too many buyers and not enough homes. Is that right? Yeah, that's absolutely right. You know, we're looking at when you say, you know, the market competitiveness, we're looking at around 10 days of uh, a property staying on the market, which is very, very low. Less we're than two weeks. At, yeah, less than two weeks. And we're looking at, um, you know, uh, the, at, at the, at the uh, regional level, many of the regions actually dropping supply by uh, 50%, which is, of course, part of it is probably due to COVID. Part of it mm-hmm. probably is due to, you know, people reluctant to put their house on the market because of concern about whether they will find a replacement home, which we'll talk a little bit about later on. Part of it's all the homes that we sold off the MLS over the last nine months too, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 you know, when we look at, you know, prices, you mentioned earlier, it's pretty much across the board. And we're Mm -hmm. looking at when I said across the board, 50, all 51 counties that we report show a year over year gain in in price. And, you know, about 17% of them actually set new record high. We are talking about new record high in February. I know. Well, that's what I was just going to say, because this isn't really the high season uh, for for home prices, typically, which is usually in the middle of the year when listings are beginning, there's all that demand. And so um, to be in, again, still basically the dead of winter uh, with with 17 counties hitting new all time high prices is, again, just a testament to how strong uh, that that buyer demand is. And of course, we mentioned that that has all come at the cost of supply, which again is down by, you know, it's half of what it was at this time last year. And, and unfortunately, last year was no picnic for supply either. And to th- think that we have um, less than half of what we even had back then, pretty, pretty incredible. So uh, yeah, 
no, housing market so, is going good and hopefully that gets those sellers to come back on yeah and we're you know we're kicking off you know the home buying season and mm-hmm. i mean uh, the report of course it's before the home buying season we're already in sort of in the home buying season so i mean it looks like you know we are going to see a pretty nice home buying season as you mentioned uh, March of last year was the time when uh, COVID actually uh, started. So we're going to see uh, sales-wise, we're going to see a pretty decent uh, growth in sales. But you know, the increase in sales, of course, has a lot to do with interest rates as well. Absolutely, yeah. So let's talk about the the kind of pandemic effects, right? Because we've seen, you know, basically with the onset of the crisis, uh, uh, you know, rates um, fell pretty dramatically. Certainly, if you look at the the more uh, ten, the treasury rates, right? The bond rates started mm-hmm. falling much more quickly, um, almost immediately, honestly, in the onset of the recession. But eventually, that did filter through to rates, and and you know, by late last year, early this year, we were at the kind of um, you know, 2.65, I think, right. was the Freddie Mac number. Um, and, we, and we've started to see those go up over the short run. We're still basically at, at all-time low levels with the exception of the last six months, basically. Um, but mm-hmm. but we have seen rates go up, which begs the question of like, what do you know, what what is the outlook for for rates? And, and was this kind of um, dip to all time lows, just a, a temporary thing? And, and what do you see happening with rates over the longer term? Yeah, you're absolutely right. You know, in the last few weeks, we have been seeing um, rates take up by what, 30, 40 basis point, I yeah. think, depending on which resource you look at, you know, if you look at the Freddie Max number, which is always lower, it seems like, right, right. And the 30 year fixed rate from the Freddie Max weekly survey, it's at right 3.1 or so yep. percent, which of course, compared to the lowest, it still is 50 basis point. And it does look like if you look at the daily, some of the daily stuff, it does look like we are, uh, we have gone up a, a bit uh, more last week, but it seemed to be saddling a little bit. Yeah. And as and you said, you know, it has a lot to do with uh, the Fed's rate, the the 10 year bond rate. Yeah. And a 10 year bonds is affected by inflation. So right. let's talk a little bit about inflation. Uh, you know, are we seeing a lot of inflationary pressure right now? And based on a number, it looks like it's riding, it's it's rising. Yeah. So inflation is is starting to uh, to creep up, right? And and I think that that is natural because we are coming out of a recession. People weren't raising prices. They weren't asking for big raises when we were at sixteen percent uh, unemployment for the most part. The 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 world was in a recession, right? So with the exception of mm-hmm. like really hot commodity products that were like impacted by international shipping routes or stuck ships or something like that. Um, we didn't see a lot of, of you know, commodity uh, price inflation to speak of. And now the economy is coming back. We're coming from 16% right. unemployment down to eight and a half here in, in California. People are spending money again. People are getting their, their jobs back. And so in some ways, it's natural to start to see inflation normalize. And I think that's mm-hmm. what we're seeing here. We're not seeing a breakout of rampant inflation. Keep in mind, you know, there's still a lot of folks sitting on the sidelines who haven't gotten their jobs back. Um, a lot of, you know, millions of people still uh, nationwide on on continuing claims for unemployment, even as new unemployment claims come down. And so I think that, uh, you know, a lot of this is is psychological and, and not due necessarily to the kind of uh, fundamentals in the economy where we still have a long way to go to get towards full recovery, but more worried about um, the impacts maybe of, of all these rounds of stimulus. Yeah. I mean, don't take me, you know, we said, we said it, you know, in the last few minutes or so, 
things are looking up, things are doing better. Of course, there's still a lot of room to grow. Yeah. And all these are actually good thing because we want the economy to 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 continue to grow. We want small businesses to open, reopen. We want to yeah. be able to go out and, and eat and enjoy restaurants. Uh, but there's a, a still room for uh, the economy to improve. So you're going to see some inflation. There's no doubt about it. There's going to be some numbers that might be you know a little bit higher than you think. But compared to last year, you remember last year around uh, 12 months ago, right. gas prices went down significantly. And of course, uh, all over the world, you know, we have uh, prices plummet because of uh, people concerned about market, they're not spending. So right. uh, it's, it's, it's natural, as you said, to see some inflation. Absolutely. And, and, you know, if we, uh, you know, I, I think the, the Fed is pretty eyes wide open about inflation. That's their number one job at the Federal Reserve to to keep, you know, unemployment low and, you know, to, to fight inflation. And and so they're going to definitely be uh, keeping a close eye on that. And, mm-hmm. and I think that, uh, you know, if you if you step back and think about what inflation really means, it means prices going up, and that's usually the result of having an economy that's growing uh, too much, right? And so for me, right. I think that that's why we're going to see some inflation start to come back, but I don't think that we're looking at a a prolonged bout of accelerated um, in inflation because you know we've still got a lot of healing left to do, and I think having an economy that's growing too much. Um, is is not a particular strong concern for me over the the medium and long term at, at this point. So um, same for know. me, same for me. So in, in terms of interest rate, then you know right now we're seeing let's say maybe three point uh, one, three point two for the thirty year fixed rate. Yep. You know we're we may see a little bit more uh, in the next uh, few weeks or so, but I don't think we're gonna hit anything um, above three point five. Are you, do you agree? Yeah, I agree. I mean, if you look at some of the 10 year stuff and if you look at where we were before the crisis, right, that that, and you look at where spreads are and things like that, I think it's not unreasonable to think that we might see another 30, 40 uh, basis points from where we are right now over the kind of short run this year. Right, right? Right. And then I think, you know, over the longer term, getting back towards something that looks like where we were in 2018, 2019, where we have a kind of full employment economy that's growing at a moderate pace, then we'll end up somewhere like where we were back then with, you know, four and a half or so, something around uh, that over the medium term. And I think, you know, we'll, we'll keep an eye on inflation. And if there is a persistent, you know, um, above target inflation number, then we'll have to revisit that if we, um, you know, continue to, to, run amok on the fiscal side, then then maybe we'll have to revisit and the bond market might eventually come for its its pound of flesh on all this deficit uh, and debt spending. But but that's the kind of uh, perspective that I think we have for for the next couple of years. So, so in short, it's point. kind of a temporary uh, dip to these all time low levels, but still going to stay pretty low by historical standards. Yeah. But, and you said, as you said, 4.5 uh, in the long run, meaning like three, four years down the road, I mean, we may actually not see, I mean, I know, you know, we, you said 30, 40 basis points. So, you know, just put things into perspective. We may, uh, when I said 3.5, I said, you know, next few weeks or before the uh, second, uh, the first half of the, uh, before the end of the first half of the year, we may not three see 3.6 or 3.7, but, you know, as we move towards the end of the year, you know, that might be a possibility. 
but safe to say we're that's very still a very low rate you know, yeah, and uh, I think our forecast has about 3.4 or 3.3 something as the annual average. So that means right, that right. we start somewhere around where we are now and, and you kind of gradually uh, get up to those kind of numbers that Oscar's shared. Right. So what about uh, some of the other phenomenon that we mentioned, you know, during COVID that we, we saw, you know, people were concerned about yes. uh, um, COVID. And so, you know, one thing that they they have the benefit of, um, you know, during COVID or the silver lining is people uh, are able to work from home. So is it possible that, you know, some of these people are actually buying, you know, bigger houses? Because that's what some of the, uh, you know, people were saying in the past. Yeah, definitely. And and you do see some evidence that that at least over the short run, right, that it did have a pretty significant impact on the types of homes that consumers uh, were purchasing. So we saw, um, I think at the height during the fall of last year, late summer, we saw the the size, the typical size of the home that was being purchased, the, the median square footage of the closed uh-huh. home. It went up about 100 to 150 uh, square feet, excuse me, in the onset uh-huh. of the crisis. So if you think about, you know, for me, I always interpreted that as kind of being the size of a home office, right? That's like a 10 by 10 right, right. room, more or less. You squeeze a desk, some bookcases in there and, and all that stuff. And, and so I think that it did, um, you know, kind of shift the, the types of homes that folks were able to buy. And if you look, and I know we didn't bring it with us, but we had a lot of first time home buyers last year and they were all, uh, or not all, but mostly uh, relatively affluent, right? Lots of right. folks putting down at least 20%, lots of folks um, purchasing even as first time home buyers at relatively high price points, um, you know? And so I do think that there was a lot of these um, high income renters who were motivated to finally get get into the housing market, and I do think you know in uh, in some ways those those who were in a in a kind of remotable job, if that's the right nomenclature, um, kind of had that perfect storm of needing a little bit more space because we were all fighting over each other and working remotely in the kitchen or what have you, mm-hmm. um, and and the flexibility to be able to maybe go a little bit farther outside the city where the homes are a little bit bigger, more affordable, what have you. But you have seen that that has started to die off too. So it seems like it's kind of like a short run burst where these high income renters were able to go out there and take advantage. But if you look at the trends, it it has started to normalize, hasn't it, from where it was yeah. in the summer? It does look like that. It spiked, as you said, you know, and it started coming down. And and I want to know, and of course, we haven't done a, a formal correlation analysis and everything like right. that on interest rates. But it does look like that, you know, interest rate may have played a role too, because of course, you, with lower interest rates, you are able to buy a bigger house. But with a slightly higher interest rate now compared to, say, a few weeks ago or, you know, a couple months ago, it may seem like, you know, people might be, um, you know, uh, not necessarily buying as big a house as before. Absolutely. Now, whether that is going to be something that uh, will continue, I think, you know, it's safe to say, you know, compared to five, 10 years ago, obviously, we're buying a little bit bigger house. Yeah. I mean, buying a little bit bigger house may be a trend in the long run, but not a significant increase usually. Sure. But uh, interest rate definitely plays a role. And we can find, we, we'll, we'll probably wait, have to wait and see and see if, uh, you know, things will continue to uh, interest rate, uh, with interest rate rising a little bit now, we can see if uh, 
people are still buying bigger houses, right? Uh, and uh, in the next few months or so. Absolutely. I think we all want bigger houses, right? That's never in question. If I could have right. two extra rooms, that's better. But the, the question is, can I, can I afford it? And that's where the interest right. rate side of it comes in. Right. And then I think the other factor is, you know, other than affordability is, are people really working from home? Because that's one of the reasons why we said they might need a bigger right. house, right? Absolutely. People are, uh, are thinking of uh, more people will be working from home? Or is it just a uh, transitory trend like okay during COVID yes everyone yeah. works from home but is no. that going to be a long-lasting trend you think I, I think at least some of it we have to be realistic that at least some of it is is gonna be permanent right that mm -hmm. that this has ushered in some change in the way that we do business I think CAR is a perfect example of that you know and and we're a traditional industry and we uh -huh. you know are are the kind of trade association the exemplars for that traditional industry. And as a result, we have a traditional uh, working style or we did before this. And we have been, I think, you know, not to, to pat ourselves on the back too much, but we've been incredibly successful at being able to step up to the plate for our members, um, even in a, in a remote environment. And so that's like the anecdote that kind of is a testament to what we see in some of these studies. And I, you know, mm -hmm. I think for me, the jury's still out on exactly where those um, percentages are, but there's studies out there that talk about a significant fraction of the workforce essentially staying remote moving forward. Right. Yeah, and and some of those studies that show you know very significant number. I mean, I pull a study that says seventy percent of the workforce will be working remotely uh, at least five a day. But if right. we actually you know dissect it a little bit, you can see that yeah, it looks like seventy percent. It's a huge Big number. number. But at the same time, in the same sentence, take a look at it. It says at least five days a month, a which month. is not, which is not a law. It's not five days a week. It's five e days a month. Exactly. So and that's where I think of the percentages come in, right? Because I think that even at CAR, like we expect to probably do um, some remote working moving uh -huh. forward, but all of us, I'm sure will go to the office at some uh, point. And so if you try and take studies like this and you project out what it means for things like um, you know, commercial, uh, you know, workspace and what the demand for office looks like. If people are essentially only not coming to the office or if 70% of the people are only not coming to the office one day a week, it doesn't really <laughs> impact um, the amount of commercial space that you need outside of like how you actually use the space. Right. That, that's very true. Now, I mean, I, take a step back, of course, if you look at the long-term trend, you know, look at some of the studies done by, you know, based on the American Community Survey, Yeah. you know, from going back to 2008 and 2018. Yeah, there is a slight change over a period of time from, say, 4% to 5% of people working from home. Right. So, I mean, this is a long-term trend. I think it's, well, I mean, of course, COVID, the last year had some impact, but the overall trend really has to do with technology. Technology, and we've been right. heading in this direction for a long time. Yeah, so I I think it's safe to say we will probably continue to see more people working from home, but it's not it's not going to be a surge like what we saw. Yeah, I think COVID did actually you know uh, push it up a, a, a notch. Sure, absolutely, and not. I the the kind of interesting thing is that even with a, a small change in the amount of uh, of of you know remote working or, you know, uh -huh. what, what, if you project out the remote work trends, like even if, you know, just a, a third of the workers work from home a couple of days a week, um, you can still squeeze out quite a bit of uh, housing units out of there. But uh, mm -hmm. 
but I think, you know, from the, the kind of worker standpoint, there's definitely um, a desire, you know, a, an appreciation, I guess, for the improved uh, efficiency, for the, the kind of uh, ability to circumvent costs like commuting and parking right. and all of that stuff, because um, most workers say that they want to continue to do at least some, some remote work after right. the fact. Yeah, I mean, it looks like, you know, more than half. Right. people do want to work from home. Um, so, I mean, we'll have to see, I think we will see some remote working, a little, a little bit more remote working than, um, let's say, you know, before COVID, um, you know, whether there is going to be a continued search, you know, I kind of doubt it, but of course, there, there, there is the benefit of working from home. Now, of course, working from home is one of the reasons that make it, you know, that requires people to buy a bigger house. But the other effect is whether people are going to move away you know, right. away from the office or even, you know, from some studies said they may be actually moving away from cities to suburbs. Yes. Now, what do you think about that? So, yeah. So I think that it's important to keep in mind, like, you know, you wouldn't believe it if you just pick up and read the newspaper, but, <laughs> you know, both things are, are actually true. And I just don't like the colorful adjectives that get used <laughs> around this stuff. Right. Because we hear about words like, um, fleeing and mass exodus, exodus right? right? <laughs> and all of these big, scary uh, words. And I think that, you know, it's the context is key because even if you go back and look at our reports from like uh, the fall of last year when the housing market was on fire, growing by over 30% on a year over year basis, we were reporting at that time that markets like Mammoth, that markets mm -hmm. like Big Bear, Lake Arrowhead, like Tahoe, were growing, you know, twice as much, three times as much as what the statewide average was. But that is on a percentage uh, basis, right? And so mm -hmm. that, you know, that doesn't actually equate to a huge number of people, even though that's big from the standpoint of if you're in Big Bear and you've seen that number of homes you know, double from where it was that gets sold, you know, from where it was a year ago. Um, but if you're in LA County, as an example, home to 10 million people, that doesn't actually represent that significant of a, of a loss of, of home sales opportunities for LA. And so, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of kind of scientific evidence. Right. And, and I think you should bring that up about just, you know, what, what these, these stories are, are kind of missing. But, you know, the other thing that I would point out just in general, before you get into the weeds of why these, these, uh, these news stories tend to miss the, the bigger picture is like, look at, go back and look at that exact same, uh, you know, those press releases that were showing Big Bear growing by a hundred percent. They were showing LA, Orange County, San Diego, San right. Francisco, Marin, also growing, uh, maybe not by a hundred percent, but by 15, 20, uh, 30% as well. And, and so that's the kind of big picture, but in the, in the, the spirit of, of kind of scientific authenticity, there's also a, a kind of, um, a bias out there in terms of these stories because they're not picking up the other side of the coin. That's absolutely true. You know, yeah, you know, a lot of the interviews are done with people who moved. Right. <laughs> so, you know, they, 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 I mean, a lot of time, you know, people, when they, when they put together a story, they already have the headline uh, available. So that's why we're not looking at the other side, but the also, you know, the other um, perspective is also keep in mind, yes, we might be seeing, you know, people, we, we did see some people moving to some of the suburb areas. Yep. Um, that's uh, very true. But at the same time, keep in mind, the reason why people are not in migrating or to the cities 
I mean, yeah, of course, they were a little concerned about, you know, the dense population. Right. But that's actually a very transitory thing. Sure. And people don't necessarily want to move during, you know, COVID times. So anyway, you're, yeah. You're, yeah, you're seeing, you know, less people moving in to the cities. So that might actually, now when things get better, you know, when we're talking about, you know, transition from short term to long term, yep. when things get better, and it looks like it's getting better, um, you are going to see that inflow outflow. So um, I want to say this, it's more like, you know, what we've talked about before. Yes, there will be some people moving out because of housing affordability issues, yep. not necessarily just because of, you know, what happened during COVID um, or what happened during uh, remote working. That may play a small role, you know, from time to time, but I think housing affordability is still the reason. Um, and, and I've heard stories like, okay, while people moving, you know, from San Francisco to some other places, but where yeah. are they moving? <laughs> uh, people yeah. may be moving from San Francisco to LA because LA is a little bit more affordable. Yeah. Or San Diego. I saw, I heard, uh, you know, when I did an event down there that they were picking up some folks who were able to work remote, um, you know, and, and that's the other thing when you look at the kind of net migration side of this thing, right? I think you had some good data about how the number of people moving, um, you know, is has been de declining for the the kind of out of state moves and whatever. But also, um, you know, even with the out migration that we saw, and it did go up to two hundred and sixty thousand, which is the biggest we've seen right, from right. California in a decade last year. Um, we're a forty million person state, and so that's still a relative. Um, you know, drop in the bucket for our need. It represents a bellwether and a harbinger, I think, of the challenges that we have. But, you know, 260,000 people does not equate to an exodus uh, right. from the standpoint of a, for a state that's that's 40 million people uh, in size, absolutely. right? Yeah, absolutely not. I mean, and a couple other uh, facts before we move on to the next um, part of the, yeah. the, the, the article or uh, the, our podcast is a couple of things I want to mention. You know, people searching for uh, uh, properties in the suburb areas actually was down, you know, compared right. to last year. Um, so, you know, that's another proof that people are not really just, you know, searching for properties in, in the suburb and not in the metropolitan area. And I think it kind of ties in with some of the stuff that we already saw, right? Where rates went down, um, it, you kind of had this right. opportunistic buying where rates went down. There were some people with initial flexibility and, and money and the wherewithal and their stock portfolio rebounded quick. And so they jumped out to the suburbs, which they'd been waiting to do anyway, right? It's more about a kind of timing effect where the, the timing was right for these folks to make that move and take advantage of the low rates and get the slightly bigger home. And, you know, I'm, now I'm able to work uh, remote, but like the the kind of size of home stuff, it seemed like that was just the near term uh, surge for those folks mm -hmm, who were mm -hmm. kind of leaning in that direction automatically. And then now the housing market is starting to look like how the housing market looked uh, before the right. crisis. Right. And, and you know, finally, um, if history is any indication, you know, uh, 100 years ago when we had Spanish flu that affected right. a lot of uh, cities, um, after it's over, the next the decade or so, New York's population continued to rise significantly. So, Absolutely. you know, I think, you know, we are going to see, we saw a little bit of a setback maybe in the first couple months of the pandemic, but I think the population will continue to improve and you know we're not going to see an exodus we are going to see some people moving to suburb because of affordability but uh i don't see you know uh, uh, an exodus like what we you know mentioned earlier yeah and just again from a non-scientific standpoint i think that people underestimate how much uh 
pent up demand there is, shall we say, for uh, folks wanting to do stuff, right? And and mm-hmm, cities mm-hmm. are a great place to be able to do that. So once we get those shots in arms and we're allowed to go outside again, I think you know you're going to see people heading into the cities to to go to the movies and see the shows and go check out some concerts and all that other stuff that I think uh, folks have been anxious to to be able to do. And I think that that is is also going to show up in the in the kind of um, you know, investor side, quote unquote, if that's the right word for it, equation, uh-huh. because last year that certainly um, suffered significantly, both because of the virus, but also because of the, uh, you know, just the kind of climate, shall we say, of property owners and and being a landlord and all that stuff and the nature of the downturn. But international buyers was down pretty significantly last year. Yeah, international buyers dropped quite significantly I mean, if you just look at the share of uh, international buyers to total, it dropped in half to about 1.8% in 2020. Yeah. Um, though, of course, you know, if you look at the you know, background information, you know, some of the uh, trend actually happened before then because of a couple of reasons. You know, yes. money is not going out from China, even before COVID. Capital so that controls. Actually has, yep. Yeah, that actually has already started. Uh, and But the thing is, of course, uh, travel restrictions in, uh, in 2020 is another right. reason. And you know, home prices uh, continue to rise in 2020 because of low interest rates. That might actually uh, um, stop the international buyers from coming for or a little bit it, or yeah. buying. Yeah. The question is whether it is going to get better uh, this year. Yeah. Um, I think things are probably going to get better just because of travel restrictions being lifted in the yep. second half of the year. Um, and um, but of course we still have the the same um, the, the they still have the same concern about you know higher prices um, because higher prices may actually uh, deter them a little bit but at the end I think in 2020 late 2021 2022 things are going to look a little bit more normal than uh, what we saw in 2020. Yeah, exactly. So no, I, I think you're right. And I think, you know, if you just take a more zoomed out kind of perspective, and we used to present this stuff all the time before recessions and crisis hit uh-huh. and things like that. But like, um, you know, there's the whole rest of the world economy to think about if if you're a, if you're somebody in the rest of the world, and thinking that the US economy might be overstimulated might grow too fast in the future, <laughs> or you have any concerns about your own um, currency, your own domestic economy, anything like that, and you've got a lot of capital that you're camped out on, um, that that all seems to, to make owning real estate in, in the U.S. seem fairly attractive, especially when you look at luxury real estate and some of those high-end mm-hmm. properties that, that these international buyers tend to, to buy. Because I think when you look at even, you know, as unaffordable as San Francisco is and places like that, it's, uh, it's, cheap by the standards of Hong Kong and Singapore and all those places. That's very true. I think, you know, we will see international buyers coming back um, maybe slowly, uh, but they will be, they will start coming back. Now, uh, what about investors? You talk briefly about investors because of the environment that we're, uh, that we're still currently in. And uh, of course, some of the, when we talk about investors, we're talking about those who uh, purchase uh, rental properties. Right. And uh, some of them are still holding off because of concern about uh, eviction moratorium. Yeah, Um, absolutely. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's interesting because there's two kinds of investors, right? There's ones who buy to rent and then there's ones who buy to flip. And we saw that the flippers were still pretty active in the market. There was a lot of first time buyers out there. And so they were buying and flipping. And I think, 
you know, it might've been slightly lower than, than 2019, but we didn't see the huge drop-off that we saw in the buying for, for rentals, right? Because overall investors fell to 8%, just over 8% of the right. market last year. And that was the lowest level in basically almost 20, 20 years, but almost all of that came from the rental side, not the flip side. Uh, mm -hmm. of, That's true. of the market. And I think, you know, when you look at the nature of this downturn, right, the vast majority of this downturn was borne by uh, renters, right? There were folks in those low income categories that didn't own homes uh, in the first place. And so a lot of folks are facing, you know, or haven't been paying rents. There's an eviction moratorium right now. And so right, you're right. A, a property owner with renters, or if you bought property and you're renting it out, right, then your hands are tied. And that's a a huge, you know, disincentive to jump into that kind of a market because you don't know if you're going to be able to get paid for your uh, investment or or not. So, you know, we we do have um, some hope in the in the form of the rental assistance, and I think that's a potential hopeful sign. Yeah, I mean that's one thing, and also um, of course the eviction moratorium currently is. Uh, the expiration date or the, 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 then when it's expired, it's going to be after the, I think right now it's uh, at one well, for June 30th, it's going to last till June 30th of this year. Right. Second half of the year, I think it depends on how the economy is. If it continue to recover then, and it looks like it probably will, yep. um, then, you know, investors may be more inclined to buy uh, then. So I think the, the more of the story is, yes, we might be seeing, you know, some, some, some slow, slow down in the investors market right now, but it, things are probably going to get a little bit better in the second half of the year, again, yep. as the economy continue to improve, but also um, it, it also depends on which market, right? Because some markets may, may right. be a little bit more, uh, uh, they may have more renters uh, than other markets. Yep. Um, and Absolutely. so when that happens, I think uh, investors are going to come back. Uh, so yep. I think uh, I long-term, we are going to see, you know, the, uh, that share of investors coming back. Yeah. And I think uh, that kind of leads us to our last topic too, because on the one hand, you know, if you take an even more zoomed out, not just over the next year, that's kind of like the short run perspective um, once the cyclical stuff fades. But if you take just a bigger step back, we're still a state that's creating too many jobs that has, you know, too many people um, and we're not uh -huh. building enough homes. And that means that affordability is probably, you know, over, over, you know, the medium and longer term will continue to deteriorate. And that means, um, you know, pressures on home ownership. So I still think you're going to, you know, see rental housing playing a, a bigger and bigger share of the housing market here in California. Uh, and, and those are some of the same things I think that are going to make um, it challenging on the supply front, because on the one hand, I think you're absolutely right that, um, the kind of public health aspect of uh -huh. this has really had a significant impact on supply. Not only did we have all of our longstanding supply issues that we had coming into this, but no open houses. We're in a recession. Mm -hmm. There's all these restrictions about um, how to be able to sell the actual home and who can come look at it when and and all those things. Plus just the fear of not wanting strangers coming in and out of your house right yeah. now during this kind of public health time, right? And so that part, hopefully should start to go away, especially as prices start to go up by 20%. Isn't that kind of what we're thinking? 
Yeah, I think that is going to be the case. I mean, the concerns are going to be gone. And also, you know, you got to give, you know, our realtors a lot of credit. They figured yes. out, you know, how to do it with virtual, Absolutely. Uh, doing it virtually, selling and signing document virtually. I mean, there's still a concern. The concern is not necessary on the public health side, but, you know, we just have low level of inventory and people are having a tough time finding replacement home. Right. So that's that's kind of the the challenge, right? Is that even if you can sell your house for a lot of money, then you, you know, doesn't do you much good if you got to turn around and pay a lot of money for for your next house. And and so I think that, you know, we're gonna have to be creative about pointing out the, you know, the potential for higher rates down the road and maybe creating that sense of urgency to to do it. But I also think the old, you know, our old buddies. Um, supply and demand should right. kick in because we have so much excess demand that it really is pushing up prices uh, in a pretty significant way. And and our, our our Econ 101 class told us that when prices go up, that's supposed to bring suppliers back uh, into the market. And some people won't be able to resist the $700,000 uh, median price points. So again, that's Absolutely. the kind of temporary cyclical component to supply. But again, just like the, you know, for the same reason that that we're kind of bullish on rental housing still playing a huge role moving forward um, is is probably the same reason why the, the supply issue isn't going to just be completely solved, that we'll get more sellers who are willing to put those homes on the market. But we just straight up do not have enough homes, period, for sale, not for sale, uh, whatever, to, to be able to, to kind of uh, solve the crisis. And so we'll probably see the, the supply and the number of listings come back, but we're still going to be in an inventory constrained um, state. I believe so. I believe so. Um, it may not drop by you know 50% like what we have been seeing, but I think we're still going to be down compared to last, uh, compared to, you know, pre-COVID. Um, this is something that we will continue to fight, you know, um, on uh, on our end. And of course, uh, we're hoping that a lot of builders will build more. Uh, and of course, uh, hopefully Prop 19 uh, will help That's us true. a little bit. Yep. I, that was a huge oversight on my part because that is going to be a huge motivator. And I know that my uh, my mother-in-law is one of the first ones trying to chomp at the bit to, to take advantage <laughs> of that. So we're recording this on uh, on March 30th and two days from now, she will have the full green light to be able to do that. So hopefully <laughs> uh, a lot of your clients are out there trying to, to do the same. So uh, I think if we just tally up the score and look at our, our kind of topics, we had basically most of the effects with the exception of a lack of new construction uh, being temporary. Rates plunged to 2.6%, but they'll probably go back up towards something that looks more quote unquote normal. Mm -hmm. uh, over the long term, we had a big surge in people buying big houses, going out to the suburbs, but that also looks like it's starting to go uh, back to, to normal. And I and even though we haven't seen it yet, we even expect the kind of investors, international buyers, flippers to, to eventually probably go back to normal too. So as right. much as we kind of uh, saw huge structural shifts, and I do believe that a lot of what we have experienced will be permanent. We're talking about percentages, um, you know, and, and it's just a, a question of, is it 10, 20, um, 30%? Some of it's going to be permanent, but for the most part, things are going to look similar to, to how they did before this stuff ever happened, I think. At least that's what the I data so. is starting to say. I think so. And of course, you know, we, we don't necessarily have all the answers in a crystal ball, but we'll continue to, you know, observe and let you guys know when we find out more. 
Absolutely. As things develop, we will be the first to, to let you know. So thank you so much for uh, listening to this 82nd episode of the Housing Matters podcast. We're closing in on triple digits, Oscar. I know. All right. Well, thanks again for listening. We'll and, see you on the uh, next one. We'll see you next time. Bye. Have a good one. Bye-bye.